Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matter. All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy June, y'all. Can you believe it? No. Oh, I yeah. I it's June. I was setting up a new loan file yesterday. Yeah. For a purchase that closed in July, which means the first payment date's in September. And I'm like, that's always how I know the calendar's flying by, because I'm putting in first payment dates for a few months out. And pretty soon, I'm going to be putting in first payment dates for the new year. Comes up quick, wow. man. I know, it's crazy. This year's we're the halfway mark, basically, huh? Yeah. Shoosh. Next hey, well, uh, the next holiday is the 4th of July. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of the 4th of July, Morro Bay goes on for the old redemption play and brings back the fireworks. And then yesterday I learned that the Coastal Commission said no and squashes the dreams. How unpatriotic. What's the coast? Did they give any details? Do you, you live in Morro Bay. You must know everything about Morro Bay. It's a bird sanctuary, man. Uh, on the fi- oh yeah, I don't know what the permit was for. I mean, I know I was obviously involved in the Fourth of July for several years. Um, Not no mo. Yeah, it's. I don't know if they were trying to move the location of the fireworks because that's always been a push with the fireworks group. Oh, so maybe the to, permit was for something off the strand or something. Yeah, when I was involved, you know, there was a different city attorney at the time, and the rationale for the placement of the barge you know a mile south kind of in the middle of the bay between los osos and moro bay was that that was a place that was at one point many years ago was deemed an acceptable location it was far enough away from the different bird habitats and different structures things so it was okay and they had done it for 20 some odd years or longer um so it was kind of this attitude of well we've established a precedent so as long as we leave it there there's no need to go seek permits and things like that but if you ever wanted to move it that's when um, you need to ask for for blessings from different agencies which opens it up to public discussion and there's already issues in other in other cities like san diego and things like that about doing fireworks over bays and harbors and you know waterways and things like that so uh, i i I'm speculating that it had to do with some kind of location change, which is why they got mm-hmm. denied. Um, but I don't know. I'm not involved. I don't know enough about it. Sounds complicated. Yeah. Sounds just like all these other issues I hear about lately. All right. I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> half of you want it and half of you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fine. Last year, I uh, you know we didn't have fireworks in Morro Bay. I walked to the... There's there a was little... plenty of fireworks in Morro Bay. There's they just bluff. weren't as concentrated. <laughs> right. There's a bluff in the the north part of Morro Bay that kind of mm-hmm. overlooks the north Estero Bay there, the whole Cayucas area and and northern Strand 
beach area where you can watch and about man, seven miles worth yeah. of fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was no, nothing less than about a hundred different displays of fireworks. Yeah. There's like uh, a lot of really good. Well, let's say I'll say illegal yeah. fireworks shows going there on. There's some pretty awesome yeah. stuff. Good. <laughs> it was it was entertaining for sure. Yeah. The thing that I think satisfies people going to a public display like the Morro Bay one. Um, it, I don't know. I grew up. Fireworks are part of Fourth of July. I'm not different, right? That's the same for all of us. Yeah. Right, wrong, or otherwise, it's exactly. like an American tradition. But yeah. if you don't get to see them, I think that increases your desire to do them on your own. That's probably <laughs> sure. the heart of why. You know, let's come together and put on a community display, and then people can come here, and we can keep everyone safe. Right. Yeah. They also, when you do that, like the trash and everything is like managed and picked up. Yeah, Yeah, well, those fireworks displays are like all those guys that are shooting them off all over the strand. Are they picking up every little piece? Because the ones that are on the barges, you know, like they're, it's attached in a crate and things Mm -hmm. like that. Anyway. Yeah, there's always interesting, all the leftover fireworks pieces on the beach on the 5th of July. They probably, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I bet they don't have time to appeal the Coastal Commission. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. 4th of July is officially a month and a day away. I think uh-huh. it was always a sensitive sensitive subject. That's why there was always advice from from the legal staff to just don't change anything. Leave yeah. it. Keep Leave doing it. what Leave you're it. doing and no one will ask questions. Well, I think <laughs> the Coastal Commission lately yeah. likes to really flex its authority. Yeah. You know, making sure that they are being perfect stewards of that coastline hmm. so yeah anyway hmm. where are you gonna go fourth of july then is it too early to know i have no idea yet i kind of want to go to one of those wineries that have the it might be uh, fun yeah, yeah it actually might be fun. some of those guys shoot them mm-hmm. off huh mm-hmm. i've never done that before and last year i sat at home yeah and sometimes that's the best thing to do too <laughs> just stay home cook, i actually have cook a some ribs I actually have a view from my house of the Pismo Beach fireworks. Oh, nice. so I'm up yeah. higher, so I could actually do that and shoot some off because I live in Aurora Grande and my own yard and barbecue and not have to go anywhere. So just like, may just like do nice that. May <laughs> <laughs> just do that. Yeah, yeah that sounds lovely. So yeah. what time should we be there? <laughs> yeah, my there my wife <laughs> makes a lovely potato salad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh man. So we weren't here last week, huh? We were not. It was it a was holiday a, weekend. It was a holiday weekend. Yeah. So we did a rerun. How'd the rerun go, Jim? Were you here? Did you have to come here to run the rerun on the holiday weekend? Um, I didn't have to, but I was here for the motor mouse, so I just hung out, and it ran fine. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks we for had taking to do care this, of the rerun. We had to take care of the sexual harassment training for American General Media, so... I decided, well, that's the time I'll just do mine and going to be here anyway. And Yeah. Oh, it's like it's, an online thing? Yeah. Think? One of those online things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, we took care of it. I took care of it. And then, uh, so now I can continue to be employed here. Excellent. That's <laughs> that's a good plan. <laughs> there it you is. don't want to show up yeah, in any yeah. of those unemployment <laughs> numbers. No, no. So, but, uh, but it ran, it ran fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we have a guest that's going to join us today. 
I invited Bruce Freeberg to come back on, for main well for a bunch of reasons. I really like Bruce, and I think he's good on the radio. He's a he's a very professional, and um, he's a good real estate agent. Have you heard about these new in the metropolises? There's um, these new real estate services that are like um, sell your house like without real estate agents. Yeah, it's like help you sell, right? No. It's well, this is what we're going to talk about, but there's these new, um, I think it's called Open Door. And you, you can just list your home on the this uh, website and they just people make offers. Open Door. Yeah, and then there's another variety, and I'm not entirely sure exactly what, um, you know, Bruce is going to want to talk about with this stuff, but bottom line is there's uh, there's some pressure in some of the the big um, the big cities of America that real estate might be changing. So of course we're going to make the case that real estate agents are still pretty valuable, but um, one of the models that I just they buy your house, um, do these short escrows with no contingency, all these really weird things, and it's just the technology sector kind of moving into the real estate market. So I asked him if he'd come on and talk about that. It's highly unlikely that it ever becomes a real thing in San Luis County. These things never work in like eclectic little communities like ours where we've largely custom homes scattered throughout. Um, I mean, granted, we have a few more homogenous neighborhoods now that we've got some developments and tracks going on, but for the most part, it's it's difficult for those kind of systems to work here. But So we're going to talk about that with Bruce. I'm excited about that. And then, of course, uh, this week we had a fair amount of um, economic data that came out. So we have all of that to get through. I thought it'd be real fun. And then because we missed last week, um, there was a couple of things last week that we probably need to run back and touch on. So... Um, should be interesting. Should be fun. You look, you look enthused. Are I, you ready? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's do it. Good. Um, all right. Well, here we go. I want, uh, I'll save that one for a minute from now. I want to tell you about, um, average credit scores. Oh yeah. Do you know what the average credit score nationwide is? I actually uh, thought it was higher. It's, uh, a hint. it's yeah. not low. It's not low. All right. I'm going to go with my initial guess of 680. It's close. You're a bucket low. 660. Oh, I'm 700? Yeah. So um, FICO said that the average credit score nationwide hit 700 in April. Huh. Okay. Which is a, a cool high water mark. Some things have happened since... Um, 2005 uh, that was where the average credit score hit the lowest it had been in a while um yeah so anyways we're at a 12-year high now as american consumer credit rebounds um thrown into this metric here too is that six million families will have personal bankruptcies fall off their credit reports over the next five years so all those people that had, whoa, look, look at, at this you. guy. 
<laughs> some new equipment I hadn't brought in here yet. All cool. right. All right. Cool, man. Yeah. Now you have to pay closer attention if you're going to start using, you know, buttons like there that that are going to accentuate yeah, the content. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. yeah so um, basically in 2010, chapter seven and 13 personal bankruptcy filings hit 1.5 million. That was the high watermark of personal bankruptcies. Um, so anyways, all this stuff kind of gets kicked around and you can interpret it for the industry of your choice for us that rely on housing. It sounds like there's going to be a little bit more demand coming for people that want to buy homes. So I read the article, that's great. Your bankruptcy is going to fall off your credit. And then I thought, wait a minute. Do most people think you can't get a mortgage if you've been bankrupt or if there's a bankruptcy on your credit report? So, of course, the next section of my notes is wanting to remind you guys. I And maybe we should have been talking about this in 2012 since bankruptcies peaked in 2010. You can get an FHA loan only two years after bankruptcy. You can actually get an FHA loan only uh, one year after I bankruptcy. I know. The, the, the biggest broadcast really, I think, needs to say two years. That's where most people are going to fall. If you have extenuating circumstances... Um, some more dramatic event than, you know, having got furloughed for Fridays at work or something like that. But, you know, if you had, you know, for example, major medical or loss of a spouse, like due to death, like th there's things like that where you can get an FHA loan as little as a year after bankruptcy. Or loss of a job entirely is justification. Something major. It's not just the 20% furlough or something like that. And, like you gotta, and you gotta be able to document it and demonstrate that a financial hardship really left it you were it was beyond your control that you found yourself in the position of bankruptcy this is not ever easy for somebody to to say well yeah i'm of course life was hard for me well life was hard because you maxed out all your credit cards and then you know weren't able to make payments and then it went from bad to worse and then you got laid off that's a different story than the person that seems like they're chugging away, keeping all the balls in the air, and then life blindsides you, and you, you kind of lose everything, go bankrupt. So, yeah, anyway, I, I just wondered how many people knew that. You know, it's it's only two years for an FHA loan. On a um, on a conventional loan, if you need a Fannie or Freddie loan, you can get it um, after four years. It's 48 months from the discharge date to be eligible for a conventional loan. So, um, you know, of course, this article didn't mention anything about that. It's stressing more the fact that 6 million people are going to have personal bankruptcies fall off of their credit report. Um, and we did a training. <laughs> we did a training with our credit reporting agency uh, not too long ago. And they, you know, some of these things we're always we assume or we're, we're curious about but it doesn't necessarily it's not that important in the qualification of a borrower but what we found out was things like bankruptcies they'll stick on your credit report for up to 10 years yeah in fact it's um comes up regularly in my office that people say well and my bankruptcy will be seven years old next month so that will be gone yeah it's and say foreclosures will fall off at seven years and short set like housing related stuff will fall off after seven, but bankruptcies stick around for ten. My understanding of major derogatory credit in all regards is that a creditor 
that's dinged for a foreclosure, short sale, something like this, they must report it for seven years. A bankruptcy must be reported for seven years. It becomes subjective after that. If the creditor wants to continue to report those items, they can legally to a 10-year period. Hmm. For the bankruptcy stuff, um, it sounds that seven years and it can fall off. Um, Again, there seems like there's some subjectivity to it. And to me, it makes a little bit of sense. But, um, you know, like if I'm the guy that's pulling the switches here, I'm going to say if you had a bankruptcy that's seven years old and you've kept your nose completely clean for seven years, not a late payment on anything, no collections, judgments, charge-offs, nothing, why not? Let's let that one slip into the night. You you kind of paid the piper. Now, if you still are having little credit issues here and there, collections, late payments, got a credit card that you didn't pay, and now it charged off, and you have a bankruptcy that's seven years ago, that's useful information for somebody that might want to extend credit to you. Yeah. You're not a guy that's like bumping your way through having some little credit bangs every year or two. You're a guy that kind of has a demonstrated history of not handling your business. You went through what was supposed to be um, the reset button, the kind of the financial reset, and then you still didn't get it together after that. I'm all for that reporting um, for the full 10-year period. Now, it's not necessarily how it works, but I think that's a a really logical way to address it. Um, And by the way, for most people, you can only go bank. And this is when in subprime lending days. um, And I think in part why FHA guidelines and and, um, conventional guidelines only sit you on the sidelines for two and four years. Um, They only stay on your credit for, uh, I'm sorry, you can only go bankrupt every six years. So we used to say in the subprime underwriting days, if you were a month or two out of bankruptcy, this is your highest likelihood of performance. You're, you've been wiped free of all of your other obligations, those, those debts you were mired down by and unable to you know, keep all the balls in the air. And you're not going to be able to get protected this next go around for anything. The court can't help you. You need to keep your nose clean for a six-year period. And, and so those were things we talked about. That was part of training when you were learning to underwrite subprime loans. And so, um, you know, for the people that are listening saying, why would FHA, a government program, want to get involved with people two years after bankruptcy? Well, I think that's in part why. And then also don't forget, this is a program that's intended to increase home ownership. I mean, amongst people that have minimum down payment, credit issues, maybe higher debt to income ratio, sometimes combination of all of them. So, And it also requires explanation for what happened, what led to that major event, and, yeah, and give I've, us some kind of good good feeling that it's not likely to happen again. Almost always. I mean, it's, it's really common if you have a bankruptcy anywhere on your credit. Um, and by the way, question on the loan application asks you um, uh, if you've ever been bankrupt. So even if it falls off of your credit report, chances are this is something that stays with you for a long time. And then generally that's where you're asked questions. You know, well, what happened? A creditor wants to know that this is something that happened that was really unusual and what steps have been taken now to make sure it doesn't happen going forward. I can also think of a handful of instances where 
where a bankruptcy or a foreclosure had fallen off the credit report prior to that seven year period. Um, a couple of times a, a borrower has even known that that was the case and would decline to state the correct answer on that declaration sure. on the application. And so just a reminder for anyone that's experiencing that situation, there's still a pretty thorough background check through public records databases. Oh yeah. And these things never fall off of the public records database. So right. it will always be discovered whether it shows up on your credit report or not. And so if it's discovered and it's within a certain time period that requires explanation, you'll have to explain it. Yeah. And generally speaking, as is true most of the time, disclosing it is always better than having somebody go back and find out that it, it just didn't work. Yeah. The good thing is that if it has fallen off earlier than it should, you're experiencing a higher credit score, which that credit score is still used for qualifying. So that's... That's the benefit to you, but you still have to explain it. You still have to meet the time frames that are required for the loan program. It may or may not surprise you to know that FHA, while they make you wait two years after a bankruptcy is discharged, um, it's a, a three-year wait is required generally for foreclosure, short sale, or a deed in lieu. Now, a deed in lieu is a process by which a, a defunct borrower would sign the deed to the house back to the bank so that the the bank can avoid the court process of foreclosing on the home. So, but any of those things, those are actually going to cause a three-year wait on FHA. And then when you get into conventional world, you start talking five to seven years seven for year. some of these items. Um, so it's interesting that when it's yeah. housing involved, that these these guidelines are um, not going to be quite so lenient on the bankruptcy world. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting thing too because if your home was included in your bankruptcy, then you run off of the bankruptcy timeline. Which lines. is the more lenient guideline, right? That's and if it wasn't, say you go bankruptcy and you tried to reaffirm your house. And then a year later, you know, for whatever reason, you you couldn't keep all the balls in the air at that point either. You end up going into short sale on the house. Um, or we have situations where people go short sale. This was a really common one. You have a first and a second. You need to do a short sale for whatever reason. The first agrees and the second says, nope, not going to do it. So you do a short sale. Now the second puts a garnishment against you because you owe them $100,000, whatever it is. So now that they're actively pursuing you, you go file bankruptcy. Well, that wasn't included in the bankruptcy. The foreclosure happened, and so now you have, you have foreclosure guidelines to follow. So anyway, if you've got damaged credit... Um, if you've had a bankruptcy or a foreclosure, a short sale, or a loan modification, and you're wanting to to understand really simply what your options are and how you can kind of reemerge and become a homeowner again, those are things that we specialize in. Uh, we, we'd love to sit down with you and walk you through what the options are for you, which of the scenarios you would be capable of being approved for. Uh, and then additionally, if not... It's sometimes it's really just helpful to know, hey, well, April 2018's my day, you know? And in that time, I'm going to save money. I'm going to work towards this, but I'm waiting for the clock to run off for this thing from yesteryear. 
those are the those are the reasons you want to come in and get pre-approved. You want to come in and find out what your options are, what can be done. Um, so if you want to do that, call us this week at the office. The number is 543-LOAN. We'd be happy to help you. We need to do commercial break time. I know you got a button for that. I do. Woo. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys, we do first commercial break here of the show. We'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. was out to get me That's the way it seemed Disappointment haunted all my dreams Then I saw her face yeah. I saw them perform this at Vina Robles and it rocked the place, man. Everybody was just up, just loving the monkeys and I'm a believer. Partly because of Shrek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Monkeys are pretty iconic. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good show. <laughs> How many of really the OG monkeys are in the band still? Uh, well, this was, it was Peter Tork and Mickey Dolenz, but Mike Nesmith was kind of getting over his little, I don't want to be a monkey anymore, and was part of the show, too. So it was good. Yeah. And all right, I'm, I got to yield to you guys. Clearly my senior... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was the Monkees the first boy band? Wasn't it? The yeah, f- was yeah, right. Yeah, they were. Kind Producers of the first. basically assembled them up and said, "You guys are going to do this, and it's going to yeah. sell." Right? Yeah, they they were put together for a TV show. Okay, and then they said, "You know what? We really want to be a band." Okay, and so they did. And actually, they had a lot of. I'm a believer. 
Last Train to Clarksville. I mean, that's got to be, Believer, that's lots gotta of, be lots almost the themes. original boy band. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe we'll just use bumper music from the bump, from the monkeys coming back. There's a lot of big hits. Well, Bruce said, I lo- I'm digging the monkeys. And I go, look, there's a monkey's uh, calendar. There it is. I love the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. All right, well, Bruce Freeberg, realtor extraordinaire. You always get the same look on your face. Coming when, over here is always great for the ego. When somebody says something nice about you, you always get that same look on your face. Like, wow, look at that. Look at that. Compliments. All right, let's get back to reality. Yeah. Hey, well, so Bruce is a real estate agent with Patterson Realty. Are you still just an agent there, or are you, like, running the place now? No, I, I'm a broker associate. Um, I do help uh, with a few things around the office, but mostly it's uh, just working on my business. Cool. How's the year going so far? We're midway through the year. You know, it's a great year, again. Uh, it's There's a lot of transactions out there. There's a lot of uh, opportunity out there for buyers and sellers. You always hear about the lack of inventory, but it just makes it a little more competitive, a little more sharpen your pencil time and get creative and look for off-market properties and do some creative things for your clients. Sure. Uh, and when you do have someone that's ready to sell, uh, it's an interesting time, too, because you obviously still want to get top dollar for it. Right. Uh, but you do have to be creative there, too. Yeah. Putting deals together. There's lots of weird things getting negotiated now. There's some unique things. Uh, you know, repairs uh, getting negotiated get to be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Uh, you know, people uh, You know, people are capitalists. They want to get max for their sale. On they, both sides, right? On both sides, yeah. And, I'm and meeting buyers. with a client this week. That uh, they're involved in a purchase in the North County. They feel like they're getting a smoking deal. And um, they, they're they not even wanting to do a request for repairs at all. They're like, yeah, we just it's just a good enough deal. And I'm going, you guys are nuts. This is your opportunity to like make your secondary negotiation, man. Stick it to them and get something. And they're like... Nah, just we're we're just satisfied with what we're gonna. There's a lot of things to do, and we're just gonna do it ourselves. That's that's one of the things we like about this house is that we get to do all this stuff. You know, my attitude is the key is to make both sides happy if possible. You know, and that requires some creative negotiations sometimes. If you have buyers like that, you know, it's their money. Yeah, it's, it's their choice. Uh, it does make it pretty easy for both sides in that regard, but. You know, most people are watching every dollar, and they want to get the most bang for their buck, both on the selling side and on the buying side. Yeah, absolutely. Which has got to be interesting, too. I mean, I went through this at the tail end of last year, but buying a house and selling a house at the same time, you get to to look at both perspectives. Which is kind of funny because a lot of times people put on a totally different hat when they're selling. I'm not going to do anything. No, are you kidding? Don't insult me. Maybe you don't (laughs) like my house. You know, and part of that is just managing expectations for people, you know. Yeah. But as a buyer, man, I want the moon. Of course. It's it's common. You know, it's it's the way people are wired. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Good. So, uh, you know, we keep hearing that prices are going through the roof. Um, all of the the stats around um, the country show that appreciation is still happening at five, six, seven percent, depending on who you trust the most. Um, ideas about what's going on locally? Are those numbers above or below? You know, 
they're they're probably right on. Uh, but what I see happening is when a property is priced right, it'll get multiple oh. offers. If a property is in the sweet spot with regard to pricing, and that's call it between six and you know nine hundred thousand dollars, unless you're you're totally out of your mind, it'll get a lot of uh, play, a lot sure. of interest in that price range, and. You know, it is the sweet spot for a lot of our step-up buyers, and even a lot of our first-time buyers are able to go in there at that price. And so it does get to be very competitive at that price range. When you start hitting the million-dollar mark, it changes a little bit, whether it's buyer's perception on what they're getting or, uh, you know, the available inventory over that mark, it changes too. Uh, But the sweet spot is definitely between six and 900. Yeah. Million dollar mark, man. That's where your property taxes are going to be a thousand bucks a month if you're just hopping into this game. That's a tough nut to swallow. You got to know that. I mean, and that's forever, <laughs> too. Even if you bang that mortgage out, you're going to maintain that home and still pay a thousand bucks a month in property. No, it's no, just you something won't. mental about that. You actually won't because it'll go up. It'll soon be 1100 a month. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I'm the eternal optimist, right? Right. That sounds like it. Yeah. Well, uh, interesting. I mean, and at the same time, are you seeing, I think that pricing when you're listing a house is always super critical when you're, when you're not priced, right. It's almost like then the house is on the market for two weeks and now you're going, well, uh Oh, uh Oh, well yeah. now what's wrong with that house? It must smell bad or be next to a butcher shop or there's some reason it's still sitting there and I'm not going to be the fool that falls for it after 14 days on the market. Well, it's a, it's a classic problem. And you know, I, I'll be honest, I've had that problem too in pricing properties and we do have to adjust the, the idea though, is you adjust relatively quickly to the marketplace. The marketplace is the ultimate arbitrator on the value of the property. And Getting that through to my get through my head or the seller's head can be difficult, but if you do react to the marketplace, if you have priced incorrectly and you get it priced right, you will see results. If you let it sit, you know, 60, 80, 100 days, yeah, the natural thought in buyers' heads is, all right, what's really wrong with that property? Why hasn't somebody <laughs> offered 100000 less than the list and see what happens? Is it next to the slaughterhouse? What's going yeah. on? So you have to be cognizant of what's going on in the marketplace and you have to be diligent about talking to your people and making sure that they understand what's going on to get the property sold at the same time everybody wants that last dollar that they can get for their house yeah if a property comes on you know whether it's overpriced or something weird going on at the property and it doesn't sell in a reasonable period of time how long does that property have to be off of the market before it can come back on and be considered a new to listing. show as new yeah to show as new is 90 days 90 uh, days off. on on the multiple but here's the the reality is good agents know i was gonna say i i'm not a, i'm not a good agent i'm not even an agent <laughs> but you're definitely i go to you in the industry i go to the um really through slow county homes um, I have a link. I'm looking at it right now. It doesn't help you, but I go to the, to the, uh, you know, I enter my little password and my thing is every single day. I mean, unless I just get way blown off the mark, I try to go in there and look at the new listings for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of have an idea of what's coming on the market and what the prices are. It helps me in a variety of ways. I mean, 
to to help kind of guide expectations with the home buyers I'm counseling. But also, if I get a refi application and it's like they go, oh, I live on San Isabel. Oh, no problem. I just happened to see a new listing on San Isabel yesterday. We can pull it up and look at it. But anyway, once you pay attention to this thing for even a few months in a row, you totally begin to see, oh, that house was on the market before and I knew it was overpriced and now it's back or whatever, you know. Well, and that's what I'm saying, you know, good agents and there's good agents and there's not so good agents. And, you know, the full-time professional agents are out there and they're watching the inventory and they're checking and they know when a house sold, they know when a house came on the market and didn't sell. When it comes back on the market, they go and look at the past listing and see what happened there. It, it's just all part of doing the due diligence on a piece of property for your buying clients. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I just pulled it up right now and now I'm caught looking <laughs> <laughs> looking at the new there's a new listing in a Tascadero today. Eight hundred and twenty five grand on San Marcos Road. I guarantee you there'll be more today too. <sighs> Looks like a nice house. Time yeah. to step up. <laughs> <laughs> on five acres too. What is let me just ask you Are this. Are you pre qualified by the way? <laughs> I can be really quick. <laughs> I just call five four three loan. Um, this is a three bedroom, three bath, 2,500 square foot house on five acres for 825 grand. If we brought that down here into your neck of the woods here in slow town, what man, look at this house, Bruce. Well, where are you going to find a five acre parcel? Down I don't know, out by one, the country out club in the Valley. Uh, That's going to be a $2 million house. I was going to say you double at, yeah. at least double. Yeah. So see man. That's why Tascadero is great. Come over the hill. No, that's why Edna Valley's great. <laughs> Come over the hill and you can get these smoking deals, man. And we have great summer evenings. You know, there's great parts of the county all over the place. Yeah, that's sure true. Yep. Hey, so um, it's come up a few different times, and I thought I'd bring you on today to talk a little bit about it. I keep seeing these things, and it's more in the national news. It's happening in areas that are outside of here, but this will buy your house with an instant offer, like in one day, no contingencies, all this freaky stuff. What's happening, and is that real? Is that the future of the business? It is happening. <clears throat> like you said, it's happening in uh, other parts of the country. They're focusing, obviously, on larger cities because it's a volume thing. It's done for investors. So right away, as a home seller, you have to say, okay, an investor is going to try to nickel. They're making a deal for them. Exactly. Okay. It's a profit center for them. There's a reason they're doing this. They want to turn it and flip it. Um, you know, they it's investors' money. You're going to get, on average, between 10 and 15% lower than what it's worth on the open market. And, and uh, Zillow's instant offers um, actually has an agent involved one of their premier agents okay. will come and give you a, a you know an estimation of value of your home they'll give you a you know an estimation of your net proceeds at the end of the sale counting commissions etc cetera, etc cetera. wait a minute can i time you out real sure. quick here i'm hearing right now zillow's being sued because they're um they're <laughs> no good at valuing and they've actually caused people some financial harm now due to it uh, yeah, well, you know, the Zestimate, we've always said in this county that don't look at the Zestimate because it doesn't fit uh, the uniqueness of our area. The Zestimate is set up on, you know, in algorithms that are local, but they're really more big city oriented. They're cookie cutter house oriented, and they really cannot gauge the actual value of a property, especially in San Luis Obispo County because we're so unique. Right. 
And so, you know, they, it was only it was inevitable that it would happen. Somebody would sue them over the Zestimate, even though they have all the disclaimers out there, et cetera, et cetera. I look at it as kind of the McDonald's coffee type of lawsuit. Yeah, who would know that coffee's hot? I got burned, but it's the same kind of thing. It says it's an estimate. Now, it Bruce, it's an estimate. I want. I'm going to have to tell Call you all cynical. about this McDonald's thing. If you're going to use that as an example, it's not that cut and dry. Call me cynical. But, okay, go ahead. Well, it, you know, it was inevitable that it would happen, and somebody used this estimate. They saw it. They figured that they lost out on some money, and so rather than take personal responsibility, sure. they're going after somebody. Yeah. else. that's that's my take. Um, aren't they not taking into account too? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kind of bugging it. Um, that, you know, you might have an ice house and you might be next to an ice house, but then the other neighbor might be the biggest dump in the whole town. Well, that's just, and it, they're kind of like, you know, they're averaging it, but they're not taking into account other factors. Well, they can't because they're mm-hmm. not here. They're yeah. not looking at the each house. Well, this is the interesting this. thing about it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back in the early two thousands when I was mm-hmm. underwriting, um, it was really common that we used uh, what we called an AVM. Mm-hmm. And this was before Zillow was even, maybe Zillow was a company back then, but they definitely weren't a household name like right. they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got these through various companies that really relied on public records. They were just getting good at disseminating the public records data. And basically mm-hmm. what would happen is we would order an AVM that would give us a price range mm-hmm. and then a confidence level mm-hmm. and it was used in underwriting to try to give you a little bit of comfort if you're looking at a file that was from outside of your area mm-hmm. where you're clearly not an expert in it at that era appraisers were known to be sometimes in cahoots with people sometimes not and again out of your area you don't know mm-hmm. so you order up this avm and what it literally does is it makes a a pin on the subject property and then it begins doing a corkscrew out mm-hmm. around the property and the shorter in those little circles, the the closer and more comps that they could get, the higher the confidence level. As mm-hmm. it needed to expand and go farther out geographically, it's kind of taking into consideration, well, you could cross the tracks now. And now you might even actually be in a new city a mile or two away. And so the confidence level would begin to drop, right? Mm-hmm. So if you could imagine, if we go down to one of those neighborhoods like... I can't help but want to, like, name off a a neighborhood down in, like, Paris, California, if you've ever been there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a bedroom community in between San Diego and Riverside County. In fact, I don't even know which one it's in, Mm -hmm. um, where they just filled in these tract homes, okay? Um, You know what? You can get pretty confident in that right there. The houses match. They're all the same. The garages flip-flop from each house to the next, and then... um, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollar house. Okay, well, what? Don't don't lump me in with that neighbor. I have granite. Okay, bud, we'll give you five grand for yeah, granite. You're two fifty five. Congratulations. We're a margin of error of a couple percent here. Um, now go throw that pin down in Morro Bay on the Heights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a three thousand square foot house next to an eight hundred square foot house. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1956 house next to a 2015 house. Mm -hmm. It's so eclectic. This is never going to work there. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest problems, you know, is that Zillow. Mm -hmm. It's like Oceana. You might find that in Oceana. Absolutely. It's really true all over our county. The whole county. Yeah, we have a few tracks. And that's, that's really the point with these investor people and with, you know, big companies like Zillow. They're set up for large cities. 
where there's a lot of cookie cutter homes, a lot of neighborhoods that are virtually identical, and then it's real easy to comp it out. Yeah, and it might be good for a general tool, general tool, but then you really need to go to somebody like uh, you guys that really know the neighborhood. Yeah, the other thing I always tell my clients is, look, use the tools, but realize that Zillow is actually a secondary or even a tertiary source yeah. of information. Sure. We have a lot better local information. Look, real estate is local. Right. It is local. We always spout national statistics and, you know, California statistics and all these other things, but it's really local. Each home here is relatively unique. That's right. And when you're looking at these values too, um, you know, for example, in a Tascadero, if you said, well, what's the average price per square foot in a Tascadero? Well, I got to ask you. Uh, because a really large property is going to have a lower price per square foot, right. as well as a really small property, that that 1,100-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath, that ends up having a higher price per square feet because you're trying to cram more value into smaller square foot, right? So right out of the gate, you know, like, you know, that's, that's I think that's primarily how Zillow works is they start with square footage and they start backing into the number from there. So if you ask a, somebody with local expertise what's the average price per square foot okay well i gotta start by saying 1800 to 2200 square feet is going to be where we could start to say about 300 bucks a square feet a square foot but you got to start talking about condition and upgrades and you know age and size of lot all of these things matter five acre parcel you're paying a big chunk of money for the five acres too which gets calculated into the price per square foot absolutely that whole calculation Even though it's not subdividable and stuff like that, it has a marketing impact. So there's no way a computer can figure this out. Yet. You think it's coming? I don't know. I doubt it. Maybe not in my lifetime. It just needs more data, right? It just needs more sales data. Well, it's big data, obviously, and it's crunching all those numbers. But there's a lot of X factors. Like Jason was just saying, you know, when you go from size of the house to finishes to size of the lot, bedroom, bathroom count, on and on and on. Uh, there's a whole lot of data to crunch. And to come up with something that will absolutely give you a value, I still think is going to be next to impossible. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and let's say, too, being honest is that, you know, and in Patterson, you guys do this. You do your, uh, I think it's brilliant, but you bring out a handful of real estate agents that are expert in this local market um, to come out and do a pricing committee to, yep. to put a collaborative approach on on trying to say where the you know the best price is for that home. That's not always right. No, it's not. I mean, and the and, market and, might get you a little bit more, and it might get you a little bit less. And you know, you just you really never know because all it really takes is uh, a buyer that's in love with it for well, whatever that reason. There's always going to be that, but that's one thing that we are very proud of at Patterson, and we do a collaborative approach, and we'll take anywhere from five to ten agents to a particular property that know that property, and we still come out with a range. Okay, yeah. and whether it's a two million dollar house or a five hundred thousand dollar house, we'll have a range, and so then we present that to the seller and we say, "Look, here's what can happen. Here's our thoughts. Here's what we think you need to do to get to that number," and then you know we put it on the market and the market will tell us. Okay, right. and if we do have you know one buyer that's willing to pay twenty five thousand over our guest, good for you. Yeah. You know, and and we do have that happening right now. But it, it's still, pricing is key to yeah. get the sweet spot so that you drive the interest in that property the moment it hits the market. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it is an art. It, yeah. It's not a science. It's an art. Yeah. So, 
we're real proud of what we do, and we think it's very successful. I, as do I, and I got to say, you said yet about these things <laughs> getting good or whatever. I, I'm convinced that there we're not going to find a day where computers do this unless you're in a track like that where you can throw you can tell the model yes we've granite yeah um and crown molding was installed and the paint appears to be five years old you know like you're gonna have to be able to move some real sliders to understand that because you know paint it's a great example um exterior paint job you have a stucco home that has its original color tent stucco and it's coming up on needing a paint job on a 3,000 square foot house, what do you know what that paint job costs? It might be a $15,000 paint job. That's going to matter, and but a computer can't do that. Here's where I see it. You know, ironically, they would be better off if they gave a range. But nobody wants a range because whenever you see a range, you always say, well, mine's on the high the side high of the end range. of that. You know, so they just get and if a I'm number. a buyer, it's the low side of the range. It's just like Naturally. Blue Book in a car. Yeah, of course. And, Seller, and I'm top smarter. dollar. Yeah. yeah. And I'm smarter, and I'm going to get the better deal, et cetera, et cetera. It, but, you know, to be accurate as a computer program for a Zestimate, it really should be a range. Yeah, I agree. With a confidence level as well. Why not? Um, so funny. When I when I sold my house um, in Atascadero last year, the Zestimate was off by about 45%. Who are you suing? Uh, nobody. <laughs> no, nobody. Good idea, though. Um no, so the funny thing was, I'm, and I watched it, right, because it, I not that I put any cloud in it, but when I bought the home, as much as I do know about this industry and stuff, the Zillow was significantly lower than what I was paying for it, yep. and that caused me a, a, a small amount of consternation. If I didn't know as much as I know about this, it may have caused me more, right? you know? So anyway, but I watched it, and I just thought it was fascinating, right? So when I sold my house, I watched for the same thing. And interestingly enough, the Zillow popped by about 20% right after I listed. Like it took in the listing price into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, and then once it went pending, it went up about 10% more. And then interestingly enough, it was within about 10% when we closed escrow. And then shortly thereafter, it fell to about 25% less again within days. And and you know how it has that trend line of yeah. your neighborhood, you know, a Tascadero and then your home? The, the trend line of the home didn't reflect any of that volatility. And I kicked myself because had I... Printed out screenshots of each one of those movements, I could have forever cast a shadow on the legitimacy of this program for everybody. But I just, it wasn't, I mean, not, I didn't know that that's exactly what would happen, but it was fascinating to me. It was, well, um, when you sell your house this week and you move into that new $825,000 <laughs> house, we can track it. It doesn't have a pool. <laughs> for that kind of money, you can build a pool. Right. I don't want to spend eight hundred and twenty-five grand to start building things. Dan, Dan can move in too. There you go. Oh man! All right, so it's not something you know. These electronic instant offer investor deals is probably not something we're ever going to see around here. I, I really, I would be shocked if we ever did. But you know, the thing to keep in mind is it is an investor deal. And they're looking for a profit, so they're going to lowball you. And so my question to any seller would be, why would you do that? And I think Zillow is actually going to use this program to drive 
listings for their agents. Do and, you ever get clients that are selling a home and willing to sell fast, knowingly for less because they have some motive that I don't understand? No. Uh, you know, there, there's always caveats to that. I do have people that really want to sell fast. Okay. You know, so we do price accordingly in that instance. And it may be by a, a factor of, you know, two or three percent is all. Sure. But, you know, it really uh, changes the way we might market it or launch it more than anything else. The key, especially in this market where we have a shortage of inventory. One of the head scratchers for me is those ones where it sells before it even goes on the MLS, like the seller engages a realtor that then engages one of the coworkers and they pair a perfect buyer to it and go, we'll give you your asking price. Right. I'm always like, okay. And neither party, cause it could go either way, right? right? They could be getting a smoking deal. They could also be overpaying. Um, but neither one of you have the benefit of kind of feeling what the open market would have done. That one always interests me a little bit. It's a head scratcher. And as a seller, I don't think I would ever do that. I think I want the feeding frenzy of you guys compete and watch me just, I'm going to get my wheelbarrow for the extra money. Um, but as a buyer, maybe it's a better deal. The times I've seen that happen, it's when the buyer sees the perfect house they want and they just want to get it done as fast as possible. And the times I've seen it done on the seller side, it's really that they don't want to hassle with people coming through their house with the time being on market, anything like that. They sure. just want it done. Yeah. Uh, and if they're willing to give me my list price, so much the better. Let's get it done. Yeah. Because some people are very uncomfortable with other people coming through their house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, do you want people traipsing through all of your stuff? They can have most of my stuff. <laughs> People are nosy, though. Oh, yeah. You know, I almost wanted to set up cameras just to see, like, who checks the top dresser drawer. I don't you think know? you'd be the first that's person not, to do that. That's not part of your real estate tour. <laughs> Stay out of my closet. You can just peek in there. All right, guys, top of the hour break. We're going to be out for about five minutes, and then we'll be back for a whole nother hour, and we sure hope you will be, too. Stick with us. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Here we come, walk down the street, get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. That's their opening credits, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing reruns of that when I was a kid. 1966, so that was the year my grandparents got married. That's cool. Awesome. For what it's worth, I saw it in reruns too, so. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Hey guys, we got a a whole second hour here um, with us. We'll we'll be the mortgage monkeys today. That's fine. There we go. Um, We do what we want to do on the show. That's that's how it fits. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so, yeah, we got Bruce Freeberg here with us to be here for a little bit longer. Um, Bruce, for your uh, for your benefit here, I clipped this out of the NAR, okay. the National Association of Realtors. Um, these are stats about the typical realtor. Ooh, Go for have it. Have you checked this out? As long as it doesn't include age. It totally does. <laughs> Go. Well, first of all, NAR's membership, 1.2 million. So nationally, there's 1.2 million of you guys. That's and why you got to figure out how to stand out. Yeah, and that number is up over the last couple of years. Of I course it that. is. The water's warm. <laughs> Jump on in. I wonder how many people are getting relicensed that let it lapse when real estate was no good. See them all the time now. Yeah. Okay, so 1.2 million of you. Um, the average realtor, this is, this is what they figured out out of this whole survey. A 53-year-old female college graduate homeowner. That's all, what your average realtor is. All good things, absolutely. Yeah. On average, that realtor in the U.S. had 12 transactions in 2016. On average. That's pretty good, huh? That is pretty it's good. It's an 80-20 thing, though. You know it is. Yeah. And in fact... Those numbers are not right around here. The median income, which is... This is half above, half below, not average. Right. Increased um, from $39,200... To $42,500. So it bumped up. Rolling. A couple percent there. Of those 1.2 million realtors, the survey revealed that 24% of the members make under $10,000 a year. 24%? Yeah. Wow. A quarter of them make under ten grand a year. And then additionally, as luck would have it, an equal slice of the pie, 24%, are making above $100,000 a year. So, um, yeah. You all know it, it is the 80-20 rule. And totally. In San Luis Obispo County, it might even be a little bit higher, 85-15. I don't know that I would have guessed that 63% of all realtors are female. I, I would, would definitely have? think that, yes. I think, you know, it's a, it's a big industry uh, for people to use as a secondary income for their family. Uh, they look at it as they can do it part-time, make a little money. And uh, and I'm not saying that just for the women either. No. Uh, a lot of no, some, yeah, some we, guys are doing the same. We thing. see it a lot. I mean, it's yeah. not uncommon where a financial advi advisor or whatever is at that part of their career where they start doing something a little bit different and getting a... And by the way, half of the real estate agents that I know got their start because they got tired of paying commission, buying and selling houses. You know, well, me, me and my wife or me and my husband, we sold eight houses in four years. And then I just, because I didn't have a full-on career, I got into real estate. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, nothing wrong with that. Now now look at you. Um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting to me. Um, it's a, and by the way, don't take this the wrong way. No. Me? I would have guessed that the median age is a little bit higher, but dropping. Um. Oftentimes, I feel like real estate agent was that kind of second career, that sunsetter career. Whereas nowadays, I see sp spry young folks like yourself doing real <laughs> estate. Uh, I mean, but truly, though, we see kids now that are in their early 20s, some of which, you know, 
I feel like sometimes college graduate gets out not sure what to do and then gets into real estate. I get that. But nowadays we see, I mean, we had a gal on um, on the show recently that came out of high school yep. in love with real estate, started doing real estate, um, and is killing it in a real estate career. And what what did she fest up to being 30 years old? 29. Maybe? 29 was, years old? Yeah, recognized yeah. for being under 30 and a, and a great producer. Dude, that's amazing. That is killer because it is challenging to come out. It's a difficult industry to break into. Right. Because, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of... Um, call it mentoring at Patterson on how to build your business. And one of my lines is you can swing a dead cat in this town and hit four realtors. Yeah. Okay. Wow. They're everywhere. Okay. And everybody knows a realtor. Everybody dead has cats a realtor. Or realtors. Well, <laughs> in, in this but, analogy, the problem is that realtors are generally very close to dead cats. So <laughs> it's the proximity that's causing this phenomenon, but go ahead. Uh, your point remains. The point is everybody has a realtor, and if you're yeah. going to build a business, especially as a young person, you're going to have to steal market share. Uh, luckily for me, when I came into the industry 10, 11 years ago, I came from industries where we stole market share, and yeah. so I had a good idea of how to do that. You know, I was in the bicycle industry and the golf industries, and those are flat industries where you had to go out and create sure. a brand and create yourself and realize value yeah. for your clients. And so I was able Man, to do that. Man, that's just old school. Dude, you're just old school. I'm over the average. <laughs> so, but really though, right? I mean, you got to figure out how to set yourself aside in the market. Yeah. And today, I mean, I, I suspect that's always been the case, mm -hmm. but today it's got to be truer than ever with the technology age and you know, people can get access to all this information right out of the gate. We can look up and see everything. Nobody's got all of the info anymore. Um, so now, if you're going to be the real estate agent that people want to work with, what what's different about you? You have to find another way to provide value. Yeah. And, and part of that is experience. Uh, part of that is knowledge of the tools that are out there for them. And, and part of it is understanding the legalities of the contracts and everything else yeah. that's going on. And lastly, it's it's a negotiation experience, you know. And I was lucky enough to negotiate with some of the heavy hitters in the retail industry, and so now I bring some of that expertise to what we're doing here. Yeah. But it it all comes back to experience and staying in the game and in the in the moment of real estate because it's always changing. The contracts are changing, the marketing's changing, and the houses are always changing. Yeah. So you got to be on it. Absolutely. Well, and then to boot the economy in general is changing or threatening to change under you and around you at all times too. I mean, it, I, I've i been doing this like you for long enough that it's almost all I know anymore. Um, but I, it, to me, it's a, um, it's an ever evolving game that the only constant is change. I mean, Always. it's just every but it, day, but that's business. That's business overall. The, you know, the golf industry is changing all the time. The financial market industry is changing all the time and you have to stay current. You mm -hmm. have to stay up to speed. You have to stay in technology. You have to stay with it. So what's exciting? You got some big listings. What's going on? You got some great listings coming up. Uh, you know, all kinds of houses in San Luis. Uh, I've got a few houses coming up in Paso. We've got a million dollar plus house coming over in the Anholm district. Uh, and so home. Where's home over off of Choro on oh, Lincoln okay. Street. That'll be a fun one. Right on. Yeah. 
Oh, right there off of Lincoln Street in Choro. That's actually a neighborhood. You lived in that neighborhood for mm -hmm. a little bit in college. That's a neighborhood I've always thought that I would own a house in one day. You and a lot of other people. Cool little neighborhood. There's one house in particular if you drive. I think it's Choro um, where there's like a brick home. And then the driveway yeah. is kind of pavers with grass on either side of it up a little hill. Yeah. That house. I'm going to own that house one day. Keep working. I, I suspect I'll be, you know, globe trotting in, in some fashion, <laughs> and that'll be my San Luis kind of second home. That works for me. Yeah. You're going to get that before or after the G4? I no private jets are irresponsible. <laughs> I don't. It's it's too wasteful. Oh, I just assumed the jet would be your primary residence, and the the house in slow would be your <laughs> secondary. No, I mean, if, if you guys want to hear my fantasy, I'll lay it out for you. <laughs> I'd like to own like four houses, ideally free and clear, mm -hmm. but scattered around my favorite parts of the U.S. Um, here, yeah. Hawaii, Alaska, and then probably. I'm on the fence with this one, and I realize they're very different, but Montana or Texas. Hmm. Why not do both? Oh, because I want to live quarterly oh, you only want at the to primo only want season yeah. of each one of my spots, okay. and then do uh, like short-term vacation rentals on the times where I'm not there. So I can, when I'm there, I can maintain them, check in on them, improve them, all the things keep it all in check, and then spend the primo season at each one of the spots and be nomadic. That's my retirement dream. Let me know how that works out for you. It's a long shot, I know. But, hey, you got to dream big, right? Go big or go home. Dream big. I'm, I've always liked that dream big idea. There you go. And and then and don't be disappointed um, with the process of getting there because well, it takes it a long way. time. If disappointment for you is only owning three of those homes, for you. Well, here's my backup plan, though. Here's my backup plan, is I want to find four people, mm -hmm. all right, three maybe, um, that would co-own said houses, ah. and then we could split that quarter that's for the owners, and then, you know, spread it. Just maybe, maybe that's going to be necessary to get the foot in the door in all these markets. I thought you were going to look for somebody that would want to spend the winter in Alaska while you could summer there. That would be ideal. <laughs> Unlikely, but ideal. So, all right, Bruce, let's, uh, let's get you out there. I know you got things to do today, but before you go... I want you to um, spend a little bit telling the, the good listeners here of Mortgage Matters how they can get a hold of you. Uh, you can always reach me via email, bruce at brucefreeberg.com. Uh, my phone number is 805-748-0161. I usually answer my phone. I'd be happy to help you in any way, searching, listing, whatever it might take. I also do commercial properties. Uh, we have a Six-acre parcel down in Santa Maria that's currently in escrow. Uh, I've been working on that one for a while, multi-million-dollar uh, deal. But you know, I can I go where my clients lead, need me to go. Cool. Hey, well, thanks much for coming on today. Uh, as always, appreciate it. Taking some time out of your Saturday. You're probably off to sell real estate today, right? Got some homes to show. Cool. All right. Well, call me if any of those guys need a prequal letter. You got it. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Um, Dan, uh, it's breaky breaky. Are you ready, Jim? 
I am ready. Break time. Okay, break time. And then I'm dying to talk about this jobs report that we got um, just yesterday, as luck would have it. So let's do a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the jobs report. Stick around. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. everybody that's the song for bruce leaving yeah that's it that's it yeah sadly he can't hear it right now though he's not yet to his car oh classy though i like the song yeah it's probably my favorite monkeys this one mm-hmm. i think so right on yeah all right we got some data stuff to talk about so Friday, Friday was in fact the um, the employment situation, as we call it, and being the first week of June, we of course are getting the read on the May jobs data. We were expecting, almost felt like we lowered expectations a little bit. We were expecting one hundred and eighty five thousand jobs be created, and it came in at. A disappointing 138,000 jobs. 
What? You're off, man. There you go. And Sorry April and March were revised downward. Yeah, by negative revisions. A net sixty-six thousand. So this is kind of a bummer jobs report, huh? Well, before you color it full bummer, <laughs> the unemployment rate went from it was expected to stay at four point four, and it fell to four point three due to falling participation. Sure, discouraged workers not wanting to get in there and look around, but. Hourly earnings, average hourly earnings are also uh, recorded here. They were expected a slight drop, and they came out at plus 0.2%, which was actually pretty strong because you were expecting a drop. Otherwise, a monthly plus 0.2 is, you know, ho-hum. It's not amazing. So there you go. The jobs report... Um, all together, you know, if we're going to, if you're just going to grade it, um, pass or fail, I suppose it's a pass, but it's a, it's a pretty lackluster pass. Um, previous week, one of the things we learned was that we had a second estimate of quarter one GDP. These things obviously are all tied together, but GDP on first pass was read at 0.9%. And then um, we found out two weeks ago, Friday, that they revised GDP up to 1.2%. Um, consumer spending a little bump. It sounds like, you know, going back through the numbers, consumers spent a little bit more money. Um, but no, no uh, huge numbers there, nothing too compelling. Um, it'll be interesting to see now. that So for a little while... The Fed's had a 90% chance of raising rates here in June. That number now less than 50%. Yeah, what I've what I've heard lately is expectations for the remainder of the year are to see two more rate hikes, which I think when you December December seems likely. This is where they always do a it a couple times in a row. Um and then I'm, maybe a September-ish time you don't think we're gonna get a june one it doesn't seem like it um i think we are it's yeah my basis of why 50 percent. (laughs) yeah my basis of why um with the economy continuing to be choppy and a little bit volatile and not knowing exactly what to do i think it's an opportunity for the feds to just grab another quarter you know put that tool back in the bag be able to to bust it out later if we need it. If the economy slows down and we're, you know, especially if the inflation number is not holding, if the job market starts to lose momentum, which it, you know, maybe somebody a glass half empty or could start to make that case right now, um, you need to be able to have room to lower interest rates. And right now we still don't have room. So I think that they raise rates by a quarter just to grab it, um, throw that tool back in the bag to be used later. That's the only justification I could see for why they would do it right now. Um, and I and I don't think it's a bad rationale. Um, yeah. At the same time, we've hiked three or, what, three or four times over the last two years. So there's a small amount of room to lower if needed. I don't see that happening. I mean, we're at 1%. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's enough uncertainty, not a real strong direction. You know, the, it's not, the economy is not 
on fire or anything. Well, so. bond prices closed out yesterday um, at a six-month high. So right. we're seeing yields fall, which are dragging mortgage interest rates with it. That average mortgage interest rate has been flat or declining now for about a four-week period, uh, which is welcome, of course, for anybody that's trying to transact real estate. Um, we're we're happy to see interest rates flat and or declining. Um, the Dow, by the way, I mean, we're... We twice this week had the Dow close at all-time highs. Yesterday, the Dow closed out at 21,206 points. Um, remember when we were doing the 20,000? When the Dow gets over 20,000, oh, the Dow's over 21,000 now for a couple days in a row. Um, the NASDAQ is uh, at all-time highs, 6,305. S&P's at 2,439. I mean, these... These movements are um, suggesting that those markets are feeling very confident. And all the while, that 10-year bond yield yesterday finished up at 2.16. I grabbed a little bit of pre-election stuff here to kind of talk. Because the the election, I think, is really where we got to draw the line of when we saw some pretty big shift in the market. Um, And we know now... Uh, that some of it was speculative, some of it was knee-jerk, some of it was based in shock, and some of it in emotion. And uh, But all of it, I think, is a, an amalgamation of all of those things. And so where we look now, some of this stuff is really clear. Um, the dollar right after the election in November shot up 5%. Today, it's right back where it was. So we had a little ride in the dollar. Um the 10-year note yield pre-election was, um, give or take, about 2%. It was up and down right around there, 2.0-something all the way through October. Um, right after the election, we hit a high of 2.6. Today, we're back to 2.16. So we've nearly given back everything in the bond market that we um, kind of, I'm going to call a lost. It depends on what side of the fence you're on. Um, but those that upward movement took interest rates with it, and now we're seeing quite a bit of that get given back. Um, that being said, the stock market remains at all-time highs. So what does the stock market know that the bond market and the dollar don't know? I'm not sure. Feels like speculation to me. Maybe a little bit of unbased optimism. Um, and then, you know, what we found is that we've got, uh, with all these things going on, economic growth is... Okay, corporate profits, reasonably good. Um, Weak wage growth, housing numbers. um, I mean, housing ain't circling the drain by any means. We've got every indice we read um, talking about increases in property values. This last week, um, we had two of them that I can share with you guys. S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Now, this one has a couple-month lag on it, right? So they're reporting just the March numbers this week. Uh, but they show that home prices rose at 5.8%. A deceiving headline that says that home prices rose less than anticipated. It was anticipated to be 59 It came out at 58 In either case, that's a fine number, Um in terms of, it, it's more proof that home values are rising. Um, FHFA, which is the home price index that keeps track of all of the data for loans being done by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which consequently is also some of the more detailed and up-to-date 
um, information. This this record of home values is not taking into consideration all cash transactions. So in transactions that involve a loan, we find out that the home price index went up 0.6% from February to March. Overall, home prices are up 1.4% during the first quarter. On a year-over-year basis, home values are up 6%. So right in line with what we have been used to seeing for some time now. Um, 6% appreciation in the market feels like the healthy norm. Yeah, and it feels like it's been that way for a few years running now. What we're seeing, though, on the units side of housing is a continuing steady decline in number of transactions, number of listings, and that's becoming the more alarming issue. Um, I I latched on to this listing side of the equation and compiled a few numbers here that I'd like to share with you. Um, NAR, a week ago, a week and a half ago now, had their existing home sales report showing that sales fell 2.3%. We've seen similar declining statistics for pending sales. Um, what pending sales were down? Well, when we talk, Dan, 3.3% year over year. It's not hard to line out the reasons why you're seeing a little bit less volume in the existing home sales. And, you know, to go back and rescore it, I mean, first of all, the volume. The total number of homes reselling is declining, yes. The value of the real estate is increasing, okay? Um, one of the things that you got to remember about that is that it's it's a few fold. Number one, I think there's, let's go back to that whole mentality. People don't have arms interest-only loans, first and seconds. The norm is we've got people that have a 30-year fixed. So when you used to have a, everybody had a two or three, five-year arm, an adjustable rate mortgage, weren't you always thinking, well, I got to do something in two or three or five years. I to sell or refi. I could do something. Um, whereas today, I think less people are thinking like that. They've got a 30-year fixed and then here in California, it's got to be especially true. Looking at your home value going up 6% a year, if you refinanced or bought your home a couple years ago where you have a, a nice low interest rate in the threes, you don't want to sell your home today to get a new tax basis and a higher interest rate on what you need to borrow. So these people are just going to sit on them, be happy with what they got. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a scarcity in housing right now. And what we saw listings-wise is that Homes for sale, there's currently a little under 2 million homes for sale, 1.93 million homes for sale nationally. That's down 9% year over year. That's a pretty big drop. It's the 23rd straight month. This is reporting for March. March was the 23rd month in a row of of year over year declines in number of listings. So for two straight years, we've seen listings decline on a year over year basis. Currently, with the number of homes for sale, we're at a 4.2-month supply, which is low. You know, six to nine months is is normal. So we're at 4.2%. Days on market, the average days on market nationally for a home for sale is 29 days. Wow. Um, last year, for comparison, that number, average number of days on market, 39 days. 
The 29-day reading that we have today is the lowest since they've been tracking it. It's only been six years since they started tracking that metric, but it's the lowest it's ever been. Um, so I guess another way to say it, it's the lowest in six years. Um, the entry-level market in particular is where you really see scarcity in housing. The cheapest segment is where the supply is the lowest. Sales of homes less than $100,000. Obviously, there's not a lot of those around here, but there's a lot, a lot of the country where this is a, a typical sales price, something less than $100,000. Those sales are down 17% year over year. And then sales of homes under $250,000 are down 6% year over year. Man. So it's that low end. I mean, and this, these are all things we know, but here we're applying some numbers to it all. Um, the low end, that entry level market is there's nothing out there. There's no, very little for sale. And what is for sale is flying. Um, and, and even the stuff that's in the mid and higher range, it's listings are down nearly 10% year over year. Wow. So pretty incredible stuff. And, you know, just no end in sight for those trends. Sounds like a housing crisis. It is. It is. And interestingly enough, you know, we're going back to the jobs report, the job side of things. A lot of the talk I heard yesterday was questioning, are we in a labor shortage situation right now? Which is kind of interesting because for all this time, we've been concerned about, you know, getting people back to work. And, you know, even that was a big campaign point in the last election cycle was getting people back to work and now here we are may of 2017 talking about do are there enough people to fill open jobs um and you know we've seen the unemployment rate the official unemployment rate down at 4.3 percent we've seen the the more i don't know some people like it more the u6 unemployment which includes the underemployed people that number has dropped all the way down to 8.4 percent and you know, I heard a little bit of noise yesterday that you see another one to two percent drop in that U6 number, and then we've really got a labor crisis on our hands as well. You know, maybe that's good. Maybe that's good for wages in that we start to see employers pay people more to attract the top talent, but it still doesn't help those employers at the bottom rung looking for entry level type of employees that, that you know they can pay the base wage to. So it's it's just an interesting time that we're having here and and I don't know. Where does it change? I, I I don't know. Some somewhere along the way it changes, I'm sure. I don't understand yet where it is. Barring some, you know, huge drought in California or some kind of dust storm that causes people to not want to be here anymore. I'm not sure where it ends. The trouble is, is that um, there's still people that want houses. Well, and there's construction firms that want to build houses, and they're reporting that they're having trouble finding people to come work for them. Yeah. So I don't know. I have trouble with this disconnect that I hear that there's people in certain industries that are have been forgotten and you know we're doing things to try to bring jobs back to certain industries like for instance mining and this kind of thing but then there's other industries that are screaming about a labor shortage like maybe some of these folks in other industries need to find new industries that need labor 
It just seems like there's some kind of disconnect out there with some of the labor talk. Um, but it's... Well, and, and perhaps it has something to do with the wages, too. I mean, you got to remember that these builders that you're talking about, they're struggling with finding affordable, available land to build on. And they're struggling within a regulatory environment to get the permits, you know, needed to be able to build the projects they want to build and the ever-increasing cost there. Then all the while, insurance, you know, if you're a big builder, you've got insurance requirements for your your staff and then, um, you know, health insurance-wise, which is very expensive now, not to mention workman's comp and all these other things. Like You go through and add all this stuff up, um, it's these houses are expensive and, you know, maybe that's one of the challenges is that in order to be able to attract these people to go build these homes, you, you can't pay them what you need to bring them in. I mean, that seems like an easy conclusion to draw to me. It may not be right, but, uh, it's gotta be part of it. I don't know. I don't know what the change is, but, uh, you know, it's like the conversation we were having with Bruce earlier today, um, there's, there's people buying and selling real estate here locally. You know, I, um, I go to the slow County homes website and pull up the seven days. Um, the seven days report will show us the new properties that are put on the market in the previous seven days. And, um, you can see there's houses out there. Um, they strike me as pretty expensive. When I look around now, See, in you know, look at look at all parts of the county, and see these homes. Some of the cheapest ones that we can find, um, you know, what you might consider entry level housing. There's a condo in Slow, an 892 mm-hmm. square foot condo for three hundred nineteen thousand nine hundred dollars. That's a that's setting the bottom end of the affordability there. A two bedroom, eight hundred square foot house is, you know, pretty darn expensive. We look through these properties that you know, I see a condos, there's a few condos in Atascadero. Those inexpensive condos up there now are getting in the high three hundreds. So it's it's certainly expensive and I think it's a um, definitely a representative of the limited supply of homes that are out there. This is definitely a seller's market. There's no question. I'm looking at a, it's a national news story about this very issue that not just here locally, but all over the country, they're having that same problem where there are new homes being built. They're just not the lowest end entry level home being built. It And it has a lot to do with what you were just speaking to, which is all of the additional costs that go into building homes today, and that even with a thin profit margin, that builders can't offer the homes for any less and and get their money back out of the project. That's right. So, so either, you know, that's just the market has to cozy up to the idea that this is the new entry-level product is well, the new it, homes being built today, or something has to change either on the well, cost I, side or... I think it's it's really telling you today, I mean, we always think about real estate values that they're generally in a, an appreciation um, type of pattern, um, but 
How about changing that dialogue a little bit that there's inflation in housing? I mean, and we're seeing it. All of these things are driving the cost to produce a home up. Um, and that, therefore, is also pushing the existing home price inventory right along with it. Um, there's a scarcity, but it's also the price point at which new product can come to market is creating a, an upward value of what exists within the market. And that's a, you know, I mean, we remember it was just short few years ago during the recession. Um, I remember talking about it regularly on the show that, um, you could not build a home for, uh, what they were selling for at the time. I mean, you could almost take them apart and recycle the lumber out of them um, for less than what they were, or for more than what they were selling for. And, you know, so that that's obviously changed now. Um, and all of those things point to higher real estate costs. So I suppose depending what side of the fence you're on, that's good news or that's bad news. <laughs> If you already own a home, I suppose it's good news. But if you're dissatisfied with your home and you want to move one way or another, it sounds like it, it's bad news. And if you don't own a home and you want to get your foot in the door, it sounds like it's bad news. <laughs> so it's two-thirds bad news and one-third good news. You heard it here first. <laughs> you can prove anything with statistics. You can. 28% of all people know that. Okay. And that's a statistic, too, isn't it? <laughs> that's the irony. It's, you're supposed to laugh there. You sounded like you were kind of accepting it. Come on, Jim. Late <laughs> And late on the button push, too. Sorry. All right. Um, let's do final commercial break of the show. We got more to talk about when we get back. And uh, hope that you guys will stick around for the wrap-up of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. this run before we got to pay somebody something. I think we're probably over, but anyway. Yeah, but who's, who's, who's really, really listening? Who's, who's after us? I think as long as we're talking over it right paying, now, we're good. Paying a tribute to the late Greg Allman. There it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jackson Brown playing on that, too. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Man, these last few years have been pretty rough for... Uh, iconic music people passing away yeah i suppose it you know mm-hmm. well he gave birth to southern rock really oh yeah yeah definitely and skittered and almond brothers almond brothers like the original just, original jam band, they're all part of that you know mm-hmm. good stuff yeah thanks for that jim you're welcome what do you all face down in over there Oh, just looking at a couple more <clears throat> economic figures here. And you, and you have that look on your face like, man, it's just dire. <sighs> no, it's not. It's, you know, what's in, there's just these things that don't make sense. Like, for instance, we continue to see really high consumer confidence. What um, <laughs> is that surprising to you? Well, I mean, I think... It is a little bit. We learned during the last recession that human nature, more than 80% of us, believe that what's happening today is going to continue going forward. Sure. So how are you feeling? Are you confident? You feeling good? Jim, you feeling good? You like how things are going? I'm feeling okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. gas isn't five bucks a gallon. Mm-mm. Got a roof over your head. Weather's nice. Well, and I'm sure, you know, people who own real estate are feeling more wealthy. Mm -hmm. People who, you know, bought their first home in the last five years have equity and they feel great about it. Yeah. People who were looking for jobs have found jobs or everything. Everything I put into my retirement account is there and then a little bit more. So here's the thing. This is so that's great. Stocks are performing. I love the confidence. I understand it. More more wealth and equity in your home. Yeah, a a better job. America's job. got America's got some additional confidence today because the average credit score is up to seven hundred. But here's what doesn't make sense. Okay, we get the Beige Book report out this week. Uh huh. 
the beige the assessment pro. of the economy is not improving the general description of the country is uh, of the economic environment of the country is described as flattening and slowing uh-oh consumer spending is softening Why in are... many of the feds 12 districts so we've got this confident consumer well, we're who's lagging. not spending any of their money we got a lag right so that's somewhat contradictory usually a confident consumer is one who's willing to spend but again if you're gonna knock me off my path you know i'm gonna need to feel something so right now but dude at the same time i mean i get that and much of our gdp is based on consumer spending and everything um maybe part of my confidence is that i don't need to spend my full paycheck right now sure sure we're just I'm I, I'm not wanting for anything as the consumer, so I don't well, need to buy anything. I feel good with what I have. I was laughing the other day, one of my friends said, Man, why don't you go out and buy a new truck? If you can afford it. I say, you know what? I like my truck. I and here's the thing. There was a period in my life where I had an old car with a lot of miles on it, and I was no confidence in it, right? And so I worried, like, what am I going to do when I'm 200 miles from home and my car breaks down? And that bothered me a little bit. There was nothing I could do about it. Put my head down and work. Today, my, I'm still driving an older car with a lot of miles on it. And guess what? If it breaks down 200 miles from home, it's an option for me to get a new car. I, I could. I probably wouldn't, you know, I'd figure something out. But... Gives me a little bit more confidence. I'm not spending crap. I'm I'm happy right where I am, but I'm a little bit more confident today because of the stock account, the retirement account, the equity in the house, the jobs, my bonds and stuff are all everything's sort of okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not racing out to spend anything, but I feel more confident. It, you know, is that the norm? Is that how people are feeling? That's what it appears to be. Buying plans, according to the back to the consumer confidence report, buying plans are a negative showing. Um, are were negative showing declines for autos, appliances, as well as housing. So you know what else? People are not planning to buy those big ticket items. Half the stuff today that's been being made is junk. That's true. You hear these stories about people say, "I went went and upgraded the fridge, got a new fridge, and it burned out in three years." Wow. Um, if I have a need today for a piece of furniture or something, half the time I'm thinking I'm getting some kind of veneered particle board junk that I don't really want. So you know what? I start on Craigslist. Let me find something old when, when, when we made great stuff, stuff that's still around solid wood furniture, um, hard to track that consumer spending in the Craigslist world, isn't it? Those cash transactions, those are off radar. Sure. You know what else? Hmm. There's a bunch of businesses. You know, Craigslist has a for sale by owner or for sale by business. There's a bunch of stuff on Craigslist that's maybe even off radar business uh, income. It's not even registering spending stuff. I, I Sometimes I look at that and I just wonder, are people spending money differently? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe maybe that's just it. We're not not very good at keeping track of how this money's transacting. A couple of other labor notes from this beige book report that 
really are just repeating what we've already talked about. Uh, Beige Book notes that the labor market continues to tighten, with most districts citing labor shortages, and wage growth is still subdued. Huh. Yeah. What else is new? Been waiting for wages to grow for a long time. I thought when we hit the unemployment rate numbers that we got today that that's where, where else do you go? percent U6 at 8.4%. You remember when just the regular unemployment rate, which is the U3 number we report, when that was 10%? Yeah. What was it? What was it? What did it peak out at? 10, 12%, something like that? Yeah, I remember Now that. the U6 number is at 8.4%. I remember what it felt like in your peer group in town to know that I mean, was one of your 10 friends unemployed? I remember that. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was a little exaggerated for us because we were in the mortgage business. <laughs> we had a lot of unemployed friends. I felt like 50% of my friends had no jobs. And then when I talked to them, most of that 50% said, ah, I make more on unemployment than I could get in a job today. Uh, so, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that felt bleak, man. Then at the same time... Everyone was losing their house and belly aching, and in my how things have changed. So consumer confidence is high, but it's not causing the consumer to part ways with their dollar. With their discretionary income. Yeah. Well, you know what else? I got to save those stinking dollars because the health care bill keeps going through the roof. Well, and I think back at recent history here, there's been incentives to get people to trade in old cars for new cars, you know, cash for clunkers or various sales and autos, you know, obviously really low financing opportunities for autos. So a lot of people have upgraded their car in the last 10 years. Same with housing. A lot of people have bought a house or refinanced their house, righted their housing ship, so to speak, in the last 10 sure. years. You know, but a lot also, of people have upgraded, you know, bought appliances, gotten new things. So maybe, maybe we're just through a cycle where everyone already did that stuff. Or... The people that don't own homes, too, they're not spending. They need to save some ducats to, to be able to get a home. So, sure. I, you know, maybe I don't need the latest, greatest Bluetooth thing for the yard. I need to save my money so I can buy a yard. Maybe that's where some of this is. You know, I, I suspect it's a complex thing. The other thing, too, and I realize this is going to sound awful Central Coast, California-ish, but, um, you know, Nowadays, as a consumer, you're just deciding what you're going to spend. Some of your extra money is going just towards buying healthier food now. Yeah. We learned about, we started learning about how corn-fed meat and GMO vegetables and all the pesticide-laden fruits and all these things. If you are paying attention to those things and trying to buy healthier choices in the kitchen for your family or just yourself... That's taking some of your discretionary money. That grocery bill, I mean, and I know because my family, we try to do like, I, I try to make those good decisions where we can, but it'll double or triple the grocery bill to be making some of those decisions. So are any of these metrics keeping track of that? Maybe the consumer is more confident because they can afford to eat better, um, a little bit healthier, not because they're getting a new flat screen TV every six months. Yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's evolving. It's, yeah. These things are changing, and uh, it's just it's part of it. Maybe the old metrics just aren't measuring it well anymore. I was kind of focused on the grocery bill this month as I was reviewing May's expenditures, 
It's like, dang, we spend a lot of money on groceries. How much did you spend on groceries? A family of four. We spent, I didn't do exact totals, but in the ballpark of 1500 bucks. Yeah, I, I, I have one, a household credit card that we try to put all the groceries on, and it helps me keep track of exactly where it is. And, of course, I got teenagers with, like, empty legs. Yeah, I don't have we're, teenagers yet. We're spending over $2,300 a month at the grocery store. Yeah. That's a it's lot of crazy. money. We do eat good food. I'm happy about the food we eat. The quality's mm-hmm. great. So you have good consumer confidence yeah. right there. I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, guys, I want to uh, invite you all, if you if you need help with anything finance-related this week, uh, get a checkup on what you got, get pre-qualified to be able to buy something. If you got those credit bruises you're healing from, call us this week. Let us help Let's help you. We're here to be your resource. Uh, number to all of our offices, 543-LOAN. Or you can find us on the website at centralcoastlending.com. Really appreciate your listening today. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters. Have a great weekend.